to Not Another Science Podcast. I'm Helena. And I'm Tom. For this second episode, we are careening headfirst into the wonderful world of engineering. Our guests are Niall McGrath and Isabel Harris, who are both fourth-year mechanical engineering students. Niall and Izzy are two founding members of Robotion, a team of students who designed an underwater robot to plant seagrass. Their design was selected as the wildcard winner in the 2020 Red Bull Basement Competition. And no wonder, because they were so inspiring to talk to. They are incredibly passionate about their project. I had never heard of seagrass before this episode, but I am so glad that someone has and is doing something about it. Yeah, me too. And it was such a blast recording this interview and we had such a funny conversation. So let's just dive into it. But before we start, this podcast is sponsored by Griner Bio One supplying laboratory, diagnostic, and medical products to research institutions, higher education, the NHS, and others across the UK. For details of the full product range, visit www.gbo.com. And now, on with the show. My name's Niall. I'm a fourth-year mechanical engineer with Renewable Energy at the University of Edinburgh, and I'm the founder and project director of Robotion, the student startup trying to mechanise seagrass restoration. I'm Izzy. I'm also fourth year of mechanical engineering student at Edinburgh Uni, technically or administrative director, but just kind of doing everything. All the titles are made up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Niall, how did you come up with the idea for the robot? I was really passionate about mixing engineering with sort of environmental regeneration and finding the, you know, the Venn diagram intersection between those two technical areas. And I came across these guys working for a charity called Project Seagrass, which is the UK's biggest um, seagrass restoration project, and they're backed by WWF and Sky Ocean Rescue. They were planting these huge seagrass meadows by hand off the coast of Wales. And the more I started to look at it, I was like, this is a crazy operation. Everything's done manually. I mean, amount of prep and resources consumed by this effort is just insane. But the work they're doing is absolutely fantastic. Seagrass meadows are amazing bastions of like biodiversity pretty much unparalleled in in our cold waters but in the last century we've lost about a third of global seagrass coverage and in the uk alone i think it's 92 percent and one of the other positives of seagrass restoration is that they capture a lot of co2 so they're actually up to 35 times faster at capturing co2 than tropical rainforests so i looked at that and as an engineer i thought well surely that can be done a lot better and I remember just sitting in the flat and it was like, you know, cold autumn night, freezing, blankets over us. So I was just like, well, what, what if we made a robot that, that plants the seagrass? And the friend was just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we were all sitting there after exams with nothing to do. And we thought, well, with our friends, we thought, why not give this a go? And then we've been working on it ever since. So creating a robot that mechanizes seagrass restoration. And we took that to Red Bull Basement after seeing an Instagram ad and it sort of skyrocketed off there. I don't think we expected to get anywhere near as far as we did. Yeah, I got kind of like scooped up by NTT as like a wildcard entry and then got so much more support. Marketing, branding, pitching support, business support. Like, yeah, it was good. It was really good. But yeah, it was very intense. I love the idea that like there's just lots of engineers in Edinburgh sitting in their flat and like someone's like, what if we just make a robot? (laughs) (laughs) My friend who was an art student, she was just like, what, is this all you do? Like, you just like, should we make a robot? You know, this would be much better with a robot. 
because I live with two computer programmers and they sit around being like, I'm sure I could automate this. Yeah. You could just do it manually, but they're like, well, I know how to, so I just will. And it feels similar for you guys, just like, well, I know how to build a robot, so I just will. (laughs) I will, yeah. (laughs) Talk us through the design of the robot. How, how How did the concept come together? How do all the different parts kind of fit? What we're actually doing is really, really simple. It's not new technology. It's like pretty well established. This is really niche, and no one has ever done it before that we can see it. It's gone through I don't know how many like design changes, and it like we change our mind all the time because, funnily enough, building a robot underwater is quite complicated. <laughs> and so the main kind of point is that we have a pump kind of system that pumps gel suspension out in these like little plows, and then it buries it. So the, the seeds are kind of suspended in effectively jelly. But because we have a pump system, it makes it all very complicated in terms of like pressure. And then we have to obviously waterproof the pump system on top of electronics, batteries. We have to drive it. So we're doing like little tank tracks instead of making it swim because we did try to make it swim. And then everyone we kind of took it to was like, no, don't bother. You have enough to worry about. But yeah, it's very annoying. Everything is annoying. So was that, would you say that's the most challenging thing was figuring out how to work the pump? I think the most challenging thing is the fact that it's actually underwater because we then have to waterproof everything. Your standard thing to waterproof it is like put it in a plastic box, but then that might heat all the electronics up and it also might heat the gel. And like, if you've ever tried to make jelly in the fridge, it's like, if you don't get the, te- if you don't get the temperature right, it won't set. We were chatting to Project Seagrass and, uh, they, they put their seeds in biodegradable hessian bags and they tie up like 50 seeds in sand and they drop them one meter apart on the seafloor. And one of the reasons they do that is that crabs can't get in and eat the seeds. And whenever we told them that we were going to put it in a gel matrix and just pump it out, and we were like, well, you know about crabs, right? What do you, what do you mean? What do we, I know of crabs. Um, <laughs> and then they were like, oh, yeah, so this other guy, he was planting seagrass by hand. And they had a big issue with crabs coming along and eating all the seeds because they're so hungry all the time and they just love seagrass like a crab delicacy. So just so you know, you know, you can spend thousands of pounds on this robot and plant it all and these tiny crustaceans will eat all your hard work. I started looking into crab repellent almost, which brings up a lot of weird Google searches, as you can imagine. So I posted on Meadowshare, probably the weirdest Meadowshare I've ever seen. I was like, hi, I have a crab problem. Anyone know what deters crabs in the ocean? And then, like, you know, a few guys are like, I'm a marine biologist and I know about crabs. And they're like, well, one time we were doing these fishing tests in like a field study somewhere. We used this thing called octopus gel to, to keep crabs away. And I was like, octopus gel? What is that? <laughs> it's this gel that sort of has bits of octopus in it. And his reasoning was that because octopi are really old creatures and crabs are terrified of them as like predators, so they stay away. They don't want to go near it. Like they can smell it. It just puts the fear of God in them and then they scuttle away because they don't want to go near it. Maybe you could make it smell like octopus and (laughs) that would be a problem gone. I'm like, how do you smell like octopus? Without, Without us like, decimating octopus populations across the world and putting like you know tentacles in um so now we're gonna have to test it out hope to god that there are no crabs in the local vicinity um 
or then make a way to make sort of the gel matrix taste really terrible to crabs. But then again, I don't know how you know what crabs like to eat. We actually are pretty lucky. Scotland does really good for subsea robotics. So while it's not the most accessible engineering field, Scotland is best of the best when it comes to that sort of sector. And within the university, there's a lot of expertise who we get some advice from. That's something uh, we were interested in is how you guys have kind of had to tackle a lot of subjects that aren't engineering. So you've got to learn like ecology, uh, like business strategies and things like that. Um, how has it been, you know, just learning about all this crazy new stuff? The marine biology and ecology aspect is absolutely crazy. From the business side of things, that's actually been one of the best parts of this. I was in this weird position whenever I was younger, when I was 17, I did like a summer accelerator. Um, it sort of taught you everything about business and reapplying that to subsea robotics that is not just for human benefit, but also for an environmental benefit. That is a weird thing to to market. Right now, we're trying to go for like a, a carbon offsetting company. There's all these other benefits. You're like, well, how do we sell this? I think we've got a pretty good grasp on that. And the more we keep going with that, and especially with Red Bull Basement, it was we, we came to these people, you know, experts in the field, and we were like, well, we're going to try and offset carbon, but we're also going to improve marine biodiversity. And, you know, it's just really good for everyone. And they were like, that's a really good idea. I was wondering how you were going to, like, monetize this. I'm just so glad that it actually sounds viable and people aren't like, this is a charity case. So then, so what kind of stage are you at? Do you have a prototype or are you still trying to sell just the idea and, and get the, the prototype bit later? So we're getting all the parts for the prototype kind of shipped all to my flat, annoyingly, because <laughs> we've not got a workshop. <laughs> like we can't get like workshops in the uni or anything like that. Um, so for now, it's all getting shipped to my home <laughs> until we can get anywhere to build it. And then hopefully kind of end of March, we'll start building when um, we can all see each other. We've not even like all met up as a team yet because we've not been able to, which is insane. So hopefully we can start building it and then test by summer. The, the prototype that you're making, is that for a specific environment or how easy would it be to apply it to different kinds of seagrass or different types of environments? Different varieties growing different kind of habitats and stuff. So if, for example, it was much deeper, we'd probably need to do like a fairly intense kind of redesign for like different pumps, different waterproofing and different pressure systems and stuff like that. But it's the kind of the general like idea of it is like, so for this pressure, we'll just change the pump. Or if we need longer battery life because it grows further out, change the battery, change the like treads and stuff. It's kind of a quite adaptable design. So Stair Marina is what we're prioritizing right now, also known as eelgrass. Seagrass is actually like a sort of a seasonal plant in that it produces seeds in the summer and then we would go collect them in the summer and then sort of plant them in the autumn and winter, which sort of limits us for half the year. So while we're totally targeting the UK for now, it's not an environment that is totally isolated unlike anything else. So we can apply our current techniques to places all over the world. Because I had sort of assumed that you would be growing the stuff, like the, the seed collection would be done on land from like seagrass that you could grow. I don't know. I just assumed this. How does the collection work? Is that manual? Is that automated as well? Project Seagrass, they do some crazy stuff where they have labs and they try to cultivate it and they they cultivate the seeds and prepare them once they're collected. Whenever they collect it manually, they go out in welly boots. Or the depth of seagrass, you know, it can be, you can go out in your welly boots, or it can be up to 12 meters deep, and you could use divers and pick by hand. And we're sort of blessed on the fact that as students, we don't need a full scuba suit to go out and collect a few seeds. 
this isn't something you can really farm in isolation. You can't you can't have a huge warehouse from just growing seagrass because um, the nature of the ocean is that the the nutrients and stuff constantly coming in with the current and things like that and the wildlife and trying to support that or mimic that very delicate ecosystem is very very difficult. But then there's also biodiversity concerns as well that we are very scared to think about, but we are going to have to think about at some point where you can take a you can take seeds from zone A and you can plant them in zone A, but if you take them in if you plant them in zone B, then there's cross contamination potentially, so you almost have to disinfect the seeds. And from what I've gathered with my very little um, biological knowledge is that there seems to be this idea that that sort of disinfection for, of, of germination from like zone A then almost makes it less viable to grow in zone B because that disinfectant time takes away a lot of the valuable nutrients and stuff and vitamins that it needs to sort of germinate initially. And so you end up with less successful planting. Um, so it is even more specific that you have to mix and match in the right areas, never mind the right soil conditions and things like that. Maybe making a robot to collect seeds is our next task. Maybe like some sort of subsea hoover. I don't know. <laughs> the whole process is so complicated. I mean, I think uh, like what you've managed to do so far, considering you've just done it from your flats, is like pretty astounding. What do you think is lost when you don't get the chance to actually just meet up in person and just kind of hash things out? It is weird because there's a few who I haven't met and, you know, through seven months, eight months of video calling once a week and stuff like that. Well, we had a Christmas party as well, just to like, why don't we just talk about something that's not subsea robotics and get to know each other? So I think it's, it's that social aspect where it's like, you don't really know, you know their personalities, but you don't know too much about everyone. And while I, you know, I have been good friends for the last you know four years with most of them, I think that idea of like bonding over something physical is very nice and homely and it's very wholesome, but we haven't had that opportunity. Even just going out to the pub would be absolutely class right now. And, and low-key, I do think a lot of our technical disputes could easily be solved if everyone just chatted over a pint, rather than us all sitting online for two hours. One half of us are on placement now working full-time, and also we're in lockdown for the next three months. So trying to build a robot remotely across like seven different flats is not going to be easy. When did you realize that you had to expand the team? You said you started this in your flat, but... I, like, was there a point where you thought, okay, this is getting real, we're going to have to get more people and a bigger team and more expertise involved? Yeah, when we started, there was just like, we were just a friend group from Mechanical. And I think I had decided like, because we needed someone to kind of like flesh out like a control system. And I think I was doing that. And <laughs> I can't design a control system for a robot. I was like, yeah, can we get some electrical people? I don't know what I'm doing. This robot will not work. Initially, Izzy was looking into propellers. and is now sort of a general overview kind of like me with things like that but then we've got hero looking after the planting mechanism and joe and harry are looking after the pumping mechanism and anushka is looking after the motors and then the electricals are doing all the electrical control systems with raspberry pies and arduinos um so everyone does have their their special talent but there is an awful lot of intersection like it's not like we don't just talk to each other because everything relies on on the next thing. Um, so it's all about keeping that open communication and no one getting lost in the more technical aspects whenever we delve a wee bit deeper. We were quite interested in in, like, in you guys as well. Is like, why did you get into engineering? Is this something that you thought you would do? Is this did you want to apply it to big projects or tell me what the dream is? 
think this is like Niall's like absolute dream is to like <laughs> run his own like, eco company. A hundred percent is. I applied for the Edinburgh Business School and they turned me down. Unbelievable. Look at me now, business school. More or less, my whole goal at that time was I want to work for myself, but I am really passionate about you know tech for good and positive innovation. I'm particularly interested in the environment, so having watched you know probably days worth of David Attenborough documentaries, I see the the amazing benefits and wonders of the natural world, and then you also see what we are actually doing to it. So, whenever I see where engineering can improve the natural world, that's always where I wanted to be. So, Robotion, where it is right now, is like a dream come true. I think I applied to engineering, like kind of out of spite, because <laughs> I I took I, I remember taking like A level physics and stuff because my teacher one of my teachers in school was like oh you should only do that if you want to do medicine and I was like hmm, I think I think I can do other careers and I remember my dad like came in and was like she she is doing this you can't tell her no and I was like yeah watch me do an engineering degree and, <laughs> um, and here I am here I am. <laughs> We actually don't care about Seagrass. We're just trying to prove ourselves to everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years down the line. <laughs> Hopefully that clip doesn't get taken out of context somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, you're just talking about like the serendipity of lockdown coming along when it did and giving you the chance to work on this project. Obviously, you know, it's it's been really terrible for a lot of people. But it must have been nice for you guys to actually have some just time and space to just work on something. So it's even better than that in that, yeah, it was brilliant that we had the time and we had everyone just needed something to do. It was an interesting project. But Red Bull Basement, which has made the world of difference in the progression of this project, every year it's held during exams. But this year it was online. So any other year we couldn't apply. Couldn't even think about it because I think what last year they flew to Toronto and then maybe the year before was to Berlin. So we it wouldn't even be a, a possibility for us to think that we'll apply for that. But because exams were online, because of the coronavirus, Red Bull Basement was online and we had this perfect opportunity to to apply for it and said, well, why not chance our arm? Why not go for it? And then we did. But in any other time, this would not be possible and we would not be in this position. I mean, I'm not not religious or I'm not a big person in destiny, but it's it's a wee bit creepy. <laughs> but everything everything has worked out so far. It's absolutely it's absolutely bizarre. Um so definitely there has been a lot of positives through the lockdowns for us. We did the Red Bull pitches. We did both pitches on the same day. One was live and one was pre-recorded. We did them like back to back in like within like an hour of each other. And the night before that we'd had our project management exam, which I think we both spent like 10 12 hours on like i went i went to bed at like two three in the morning then had to get up at like six seven to get into kings for eight to then start recording at half eight it was horrific so it's a good thing it's by red bull (laughs) Uh, yeah not tropicana or something we were just energized the whole time they keep going like if you want any red bull just let us know like we will we will send more like i have what like 30 cans just like on my floor in my room like i just i can't get through it fast enough yeah, mine are up there. I didn't touch them till till exam started. And like very much a coffee person, I was like, "Well, let's let's just try a Red Bull, see how that goes." And then I was having like two two Red Bulls a day to get me through. Was it ten days of exams or something like that? And it was just. But I think once you start, you, you get hooked on it. That's how they get you in. They sponsor startup competitions, and then they get you addicted. Like they're so clever. 
<laughs> Gotta start them young. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Marketing genius. It's interesting now you're talking about using technology to fight kind of climate change and all these other issues that we're fighting at the minute. Do you do you think technology alone can can do that? This is kind of like a big question, but um, or do you, do you feel like it needs to fit into like a, a wider network of sort of like behavioral change and stuff like that? Oh no, a hundred percent. Everyone needs to wise up and start doing better. We can't just we can't just engineer solutions for forever. Although it's gotten us this far as a human race. So one of the one of the things that with Robotion we actually called it ecosystem engineering. Or that's sort of a tagline because what we're doing is engineering ecosystems. Very quickly realized that I did not, you know, I'm not the first one to use that term, and it is actually an established term, much to my annoyance, because I thought it was really original. But as part of a, you know, a wider scope of afforestation and then geoengineering, which is sort of like massive engineering projects to basically save us from climate change, like last ditch effort, last chance saloon, scary stuff, things like spraying chemicals in the atmosphere that you know keep us a lot cooler and it's like well we could do this at a massive scale and it would save us for x amount of years before we a have to do it again or all perish in a climate change fiery death so it's one of those things these are there are issues that we need to come to actually solve eventually and what engineering can do is be part of the solution and also bias a lot of time because i think recently you know people consider ai one of the the hottest topics in tech right now. But recently, the, the sort of market cap or the, the investment and value of green tech is accelerating at a pace much higher than where AI was whenever it was taking off. So all um, all the data suggests that green tech is going to take off and this is a really bright future and it's going to be a huge sector in the future. But hopefully the rest of us as people can, can follow that trend and start to be better because... I think we're going to need a lot more than a, a few robots in the sea. So looking into the future, do you have any plans for kind of getting it to a stage where you've got the robot, you know, all over the UK planting seagrass for people? Like what, what, what are the next steps in that process? The plan is to kind of have everything tested and kind of like, like this is a serious idea and, viable and prototype and everything like that and like proof of concept definitely by the time we graduate so that we can get some hopefully some very serious investment so that we can make a proper robot that isn't just like half 3d printed <laughs> like might fall apart if you kick it a bit hard <laughs> sort of <thing. laughs> yeah we're, we're sort of taking it a month at a time you know we've got a one-year plan to have a functional robot that tests and validates our ideas but i do think it's dangerous to plan ahead and sort of get lost in things that you haven't actually done yet. It's very easy to do that, and that can be a downfall for a lot of people. But at Red Bull Basement, we did set one huge goal, and this is, you know, could be 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50. We could be ancient, and these robots could be going around, but that is that we wanted to plant, was it 75,000 square kilometres? I think this is a, this is a conservative estimate. It could be less, but 75,000 square kilometres of seagrass would in theory be enough to offset the European Union's carbon footprint at present. Now, to put that into perspective, I think that's like, it's been a while since I looked at the stats and stuff, but I think it was around the size of Cuba. Like this is no, <laughs> this is not a tiny piece of land. This is like a monumental task of like hundreds of robots planting in synchronization 24 seven round the clock, crazy stuff. But you know, you have to dream big, I guess. 
and we're very lucky. Like we have come in at the right time, right place, correct everything. Project Seagrass have just planted one million seeds off the coast of the UK. There's this huge effort for environmental restoration and conservation. They've recently found out seagrass siphons off plastic from the ocean. That was literally last week. Crazy. And we were like, wow, that's another box to tick. And the United Nations has just declared this decade for um, ecosystem restoration. And when you include that in with the sustainable development goals, I think we're targeting 13 and 14, which is climate action and life below water. We're in this amazing time and place where everything is coming towards this idea. And if we can make it work, I think it can it can scale up big time. Massive thanks to Niall and Izzy for coming on the show. It was a really funny and inspiring conversation. You can find them on Twitter at Robotion underscore eco, on Instagram at Robotion.io, and you'll soon be able to check out their website at Robotion.io. For any inquiries, drop them an email at Robotion.eddy at Outlook.com. We hope you enjoyed the first two episodes of Plants and Our Health, the new series that we are hosting on our platform. It's basically a long love letter to the many wacky and wonderful ways that plants have helped humans throughout our shared history. A new episode will every Friday. I've seen the production schedule and I am buzzing about all the episodes that are coming up. This podcast is brought to you by the Edinburgh University Science Magazine. In each episode, we'll explore fascinating themes and ideas, talk to awesome researchers about their work, and find out about the science being done by our very own staff and students here at the university. If you have any feedback for us, or if you'd like to get in touch with a question, suggestion, you can reach us on our Facebook page, Edinburgh University Science Media, or at our Twitter, at USCI. That's at E-U-S-C-I. You can also drop us an email at usi.podcast at gmail.com and you can find the show notes and the list issue of the magazine at usi.org.uk. If you'd like to be featured on the podcast, please get in touch and keep an eye on our social media for more information. This episode was hosted by me, Tom Edwick, and my partner in crime, Helena Corning. The podcast manager is Alex Bailey. The podcast logo was designed by USI Chief Editor Apple Chu. An awesome podcast episode art was designed by Heather Jones, our social media and marketing genius. Thank you for listening, and until next time. Keep it science. I don't know about you guys, but if you if you read our name, like, does it immediately say Robotion, or do you say one of the ten other versions that people <laughs> We get, like, Robotion... Robo Keen, uh, Robo Scene, Robo Clean. I came up with that. I was I did not foresee this being an issue at all. For me, it's quite soft. Robo shit. The end of Robo leads into Ocean. It's not even like a stretch. It's the same O sign, and people just can't wrap their heads around it. So this is like any any kind of user design. You have to assume that someone everyone's is an idiot. Something stupid. <laughs> Like, it's like, I love seeing the random signs when you have, like, do not touch this, and you're like, you know, somebody touched it. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't think it would happen, but they had to put an idiot-proof sign because somebody did it. (laughs) 100%.